right, welcome back to another episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. Thank you for joining us again. I think we're up to episode 39 and when I looked at the calendar just the other day, I realized that we had turned one. One year of podcasting, talking to interesting people, talking about golf, talking about interesting golf topics. It's uh, certainly a year that I've enjoyed. It's been a, a year of learning uh, on a number of levels, uh, learning how to use technical equipment, uh, learning a little bit about myself and learning a whole lot more about golf. So thank you for tuning in. Um, we might do a bit of a, a review on some of the people that we've spoken to over that journey in the in the coming weeks, but uh, I just wanted to say thank you to all the people that have listened during the first year of podcasting. Um, it's it's not an e- it's not an easy task. It's not a, certainly not a hard task, but it's not an easy task uh, putting something together, which we hope is on a weekly weekly basis. But uh, we certainly enjoy it. So thank you again. Now, one of the big introductions this year in the My Love of Golf podcast was our man Rocket. Last week, we gave him a special treat. We gave him his own intro music, and it went down very very well on the home front. Ma Rocket tuned in. She was dancing. So we're going to keep with that flow and we're going to bring Rocket in every week with a bit of this. Rocket, are you there, my good man? Roscoe, I'm here. Niners are six and zero, baby. Six and zero. We crushed those redskins in the wet. I've mowed the lawn or the fairway, whatever you want to call it, in the front yard twice this weekend. I'm, I'm wondering whether I put some sand in to level it out. Do I overseed it with fescue? I don't know. Oh, I'm pumped. Well, we can come back to talking about your um, front yard fairway, practice area, chipping green, the... Uh, Eastern suburbs, pitch and putt, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> six and zero. So that is the San Francisco Forty Niners that are that are six and zero. Yeah, correct, Mondo. Get on the train. Doot, doot. Okay, because when I saw you tweet that, I didn't look at the phone very clearly, and I thought that you were texting me to tell me that my beloved Melbourne City was six nil up in the FFA Cup final in Adelaide at the moment, which I'm actually skipping at the moment to to talk to you, Rocket, and I believe you know. What's going on? And I don't want to know. By the time everyone listens to this, though, it will be will be known. But I'm going to listen to uh, watch that after this. So don't tell me about Melbourne City and uh, some of our fans of the podcast, Macca, Jamo, and all the other boys down there that play golf. We love them, and good luck. So, mate, um, the front yard fairway, the eastern suburbs, hills area, pitch and putt. How's it going? Oh, it's not too bad. Bit, uh, you know, trying trying to get it nice and low. You know, the cooch is a bit thatchy at the moment, so I've been looking on Gumtree, looking for a barrel with some spikes, do a bit of aeration. Um, might need to get a bit of gypsum into a few areas to break up the clay. So, um, yes, yeah, definitely in. Uh, we'll call it preparation mode this year. So we'll call it this spring and summer's sort of that later foundation for next year. Um, and getting things right. But, um, yeah, it's coming along nice. But, uh, yeah, wife does look at me quite uh, – so Mrs. Rocket looks at me a little bit funny sometimes when uh, I get home from work and uh, changing into the uh, the uh, out, outdoor gear and uh, with the headphones on. And, yep, all the next thing she knows, she hears this – and I'm mowing the lawn again. Jump on the John Deere. <laughs> well, it's actually the Husqvarna. Oh, sorry, sorry. My bad, my bad. John D. Um, now you you put a tweet out the other day. You put something out there to the to the Twitter sphere about seeking some guidance on what to do in regards to your turf. And yes, I we we know a few people in the turf business, so we might try and bring them on to uh, give you some direct advice. But I don't think my suggestion went down so well was to over <laughs> i'll tell you what it was very funny so uh a guy i do some work with um i, I showed him your message on monday and uh i think his uh peppermint tea went 
you know, flying across the table. We thought that overseeding it with Roundup was uh, was was quite funny. <laughs> well, the, the backstory to that for anyone that didn't pick up on it, and uh, you have Kaikuyu up there, which is obviously quite a common, you know, garden variety of grass. But if you've grown up in New South Wales and then transitioned to Victoria, and I'm now a Victorian, um, and you've played the majority of your adult life golf on cooch fairways and beautiful cooch fairways, you realise that you spent your formative years in New South Wales playing on Kaikuyu. And once you start to understand the differences and the nuances between the turf types, you never want to go back and play on Kaikuyu. And I don't mean to offend anyone that is in New South Wales and and plays on Kaikuyu. It's obviously a very uh, well-suited grass to that climate. But, you know, when when you don't have to play on it, you won't. And... So hence my my feedback was to just, you know, torch the kaikuyu, put some put some put some sand down, put a bit of drainage in, and just roll out some beautiful cooch. Not going to happen. Maybe a bit of bit of winter evergreen, maybe. So how does you know in for the backyard um, you know turf nerd, how do you how do you take kaikuyu from kaikuyu and 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 so in. What were you going to put in? Zoiza? Zoizo? Sounds like the tournament. Well, I was thinking way. about Zoiza. So yeah. there's the Empire Zoiza. So it's um, it's a bit of a slower growing um, turf. Uh, pretty good in the shade and quite um, tolerant for hot conditions because you know, everyone knows that um, Victoria, especially out of, out of skirts of uh, Melbourne, you know, we hit summer and there can be just long days of just nothing but 30 plus. So you, you want to have your grass to be, uh, have a good, nice deep root system and be able to sustain itself against you know, extreme temperatures over a long period of time. So it just doesn't burn out and you're not having to water the, you know, water it all the time to have it at least stay healthy. Um, so what feedback? So, did, what feedback did Mike Cocking offer? What What was his? Uh, uh, he was overseeding with um, so have a cooch with a overseed of fescue. That that appeals to my uh, Scottish links um, recent yeah, experiences. Yeah, it, it would. It would just yeah. It'd be, it, I might I might do. Uh, there's a couple of sections up the back. I might do a bit of a test spot, a couple of test spots. Um, see what that looks like. So I've got a couple of areas of, of good cooch up there. So. You know, I'm trying to mow the other stuff down and we'll call it transition. <laughs> Don't want to go through the pain of, you know, overseeding with Roundup and having to try and, you know, relay stuff. Oh, I think I'll, I'll try and just sort of um, mow one down and then grow one in. So will Cooch overtake Kaikuyu? My brother-in-law's the green keeper of the family, not me. So, uh I, I should know, but um, I don't. But Bukuch is, you know, because what I believe is, you know, there's certain varieties of grass that will overtake certain other varieties. And you know, well, the good thing is, I don't, I don't have too much of the kaki stuff. Oh, okay. So, I've um, on some of those areas, off we'll call it fair and square, drop the blade, um, and I've still sort of cut it low on some of the cooch because um, it had probably been cut quite high for a long period of time so the you know it's not that tight so i think i just need to just continue to just mow it low and just before it gets too hot to try and sort of force it to sort of mat a bit Mm. so um and then just you know might just try and um yeah try and get rid of some of the thatch and just aerate it a little bit um because we've got a bit of clay base and soils and stuff out here so um. Yeah. Well, not bit t- testing testing for the bit testing for the grass, but yeah, it's just all part of the journey. Well, if you are interested in Rocket's uh, turf journey, feel free to hit him up and ask him because I, I do know that a lot of people like to um, you know, keep the grass nice and maybe don't have the same level of experience as you, but certainly don't have the same level of experience as the, some of the people that we uh, get to talk to in our our world. You know, I remember. Um, I may have mentioned this catching up with Mitchell Driver at uh, Glen Eagles, and he was talking to me talking to me about how they get the that grass to you know 
way a certain way. They mowed tartan strips in the fairway and just how they do that and, and the way that the grass learns how to grow based on how you cut it. So they, you know, they never cut it the same way for too long and all that sort of thing, which obviously is going to apply to what you're doing and you're talking about, you know, cutting it down so the grass will ultimately learn to grow sideways and not up and then, you know, firm up that uh, beautiful cooch chipping green that you're going to build for us up there for the My Love of Golf Chipping Championship. Sounds good, yeah? I'm still a novice, so all the <laughs> advice, all the advice is is welcome. That's well, for sure. I will make it my I will make it my uh, job to get you some advice. I'll talk to um, the golfing greenkeeper. He's he's going to come onto the podcast. Oh, the golfing greenkeeper will give you some advice. So we'll turn that into an episode for you, Rocket. There you go. Hey, mate. Um. So what's happened in the week of golf that uh, you and I need to catch up on? So we had a couple of tournaments around the world. We had the Italian Open and we had the CJ Open. Yeah, no, no cut cup. The no cut cup at uh, in Korea. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, Brooksy. You know, we'll probably talk about that later. But Brooksy hurt himself and withdrew. You know, maybe he deliberately hurt himself, and because he's probably going to, ah, I can't be bothered flying all the way over there. Might just hang out in the, in the house and I don't know. Go for a swim, something like that. Well, but, um, we'll, we'll come back to that. So the CJ Cup, who was it won by? Uh, it was won by JT. Yeah. Now, I heard a stat today that it's only basically the greats of the game and Jordan Spieth that have won as many PGA titles under the age of 25. And he is now in that uh, you know, what we call elite group. He's pretty good. He's playing pretty well, JT. He's a damn good player. Um, and, and the thing is that, you know, we've got to remember last year that, you know, he, he wasn't really call on the radar last year because he was injured. You know, he had all the, I think he had the wrist injury. So he spent a good half of the year um, on the sidelines. And everyone knows that when you come back from an injury, it's going to take a while to sort of get you. Get your golf game back in back in swing. Um, but, you know, he's been putting in the work in the gym and stuff, like getting back into it. And, you know, he just he just played a really good solid tournament. And, you know, oh, he's, he just has all the shots. Oh, well, I shouldn't say all the shots, right? I still have question marks around his iron play. You know, we'll call it from, you know, eight, anything from four iron to eight iron. You know, so when it comes to sort of the majors, unless it's sort of soft, you know, I don't, I think he's still questionable around being a shot maker. But you know, everything else, you know, he's a he's a whip of a man, little whip of a man. He wouldn't be much taller than me, so that doesn't make him very tall. Hits at a mile. He's got a really good wedge game. He's a really good putter. He's got a good temperament. And I was thinking about this this morning. Um, just driving into work and you think about especially in the last two years you know the 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 transformation of you know you had JT was sort of living in the shadow of Jordan Spieth you know so those two came up through the junior ranks together you know both had dreams of playing on the tour you know Jordan come out and just came out with blaze of glory wins a heap of majors win you know world number one etc and JT's just you know Plodding away on the web dot web dot com, you know, makes it on the PGA tour. Takes a while before he wins his first event, and then wins a couple of other events, and then breaks through with a win in the PGA in twenty sixteen, I think it was. And there, from there, it's like his confidence is just, you know, it's just flowed on and built on. And you know, the contrast between the two is that you've had. You know, we'll call it from about 2017. Um, I'm trying to remember when Jordan won the British. Is it 2016, 2017? Can't remember. Uh, it was but, one of the one of the two years that I was in the UK. So it was either it was in England. Um, it was in England. So it would have been 2017. Yeah. So when he wins the British, right? That was sort of the last of you know anything sort of peak Jordan. 
And in that two years since then, or 18 months since then, it's you couldn't, even with JT being on the sidelines half of last year, he's, his last two years is streets ahead of, of um, Jordan. And he continues to go from strength to strength. And, you know, even though Jordan played in the No Cut Cup as well, um, I think he finished, I think he finished in the top 10. But if you look at the statistics, he, his putter is the only reason why he finished in the top 10 of, of a pretty you know, reasonably weak field. Because everything else, you know, his driver, he, he has no chance of hitting a fairway. He's like completely lost his driver. Um, and then everything else struggles from there. And he's just lucky he's, a, he's you know, an absolute blade on the greens. Because if he couldn't putt like he does, like he, he wouldn't be on tour. Like legitimately, he wouldn't be on tour. And and I still think, and you know, we'll call it conspiracy theory, but it's this one of these things when, you know, oh, I can't remember the movie or whatever it is. You know, man's got to know his limitations. Um, but I think Jordan Spieth forgot what his limitations were, and. He was so it's it's like he was trying it's like he Ian Baker finished himself. He tr- he was trying to find another five or ten yards with his driver. So he's messing around with his swing and stuff. And he's broken the formula that worked. Because he was never the best driver, but he was good enough. He's accurate enough. Um he's a really good with his fairway woods and his that little hybrid thing. His iron play was really solid once he's in the fairway. And, and as a wedge player, he was he's elite. And then he's putting. He just he didn't have everything, but he had enough. And the thing is that he was such a and his mental game, right? So in the search of trying to find another 10 yards because he thought he needed it, I think he's broken his formula. Um it's like Ian Baker Finch. He, you know, he's trying to get longer. And within three years, he became, you know, basically a spanner thrower. <laughs> oh, he's just, you know, he might as well been sitting in a chair throwing spanners at people driving by because that's that's all. He, he probably couldn't even hit people with a spanner. Um, you know, it was just, yeah, it's it's a shame because you know Ian Baker Finch is probably one of the most accurate players on the planet, and his iron, like his long iron play, was the bet. He's one of the best long iron players, wedge players, and putters. He's solid, just not, not elite, but he was a solid putter. But his iron play, he was just, he's elite. He's elite. You know, I still remember that 88, was it 88? 88 Australian Masters playoff with uh, Craig Parry and Roger Mackay. And 17th old, he just goes, blazes a, a butter knife, aka one iron. Then hits this four iron to like five feet. I was in the birdie to win. Like, it's just, yeah. I know we're digressing a little bit in the background, but that it's just an example of players that just, they're looking for something that they just don't have. And they just should just continue to focus on what they're really good at and mitigate against the things that they're not great at. So, what does Jordan Spieth do if it's his driver that's letting him? down what what do you do like he he doesn't seem to tinker with too much of his gear and swing of- right this is, this is this is the thing that frustrates me with with heaps of professionals they mess around with their swing too much right uh, you know i could i could rattle off i could rattle off so many aaron badley like the dude had a purest swing sure it could be a bit loose but it was pure. It just needed tightening up. He was like, he was crushing it as a teenager. You know, wins an Australian Open as an amateur, 19-year-old, then turns pro, comes back and wins it again. Against a really good field. The thing is that he's still a great putter. He just needed to tighten up some other things. But he goes off and he does this, you know, I've Stacking talked tip. about this before. Mm-hmm. He, instead of going and grinding out in the European Tour, he spends three years, you know, dilly-dallying around trying to get exemptions on the US tour and 
you know, didn't get enough reps. And then he goes with his, you know, stack and tilt or, you know, lift and shift or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that was that just ruined him. That was just rubbish. It's complete rubbish. I still think Tiger, all right? Ty, Tiger's biggest problem, the reason he doesn't, he hasn't broken Jack's record and the reason the dude's back is all messed up is because he's changed his swing three times, four times. Post-Bush, like anyone, I dare anyone to go and look up Tiger Woods, New Zealand Open 2002. There's some footage there of him playing like a couple of, like I think the first 36 holes, all his shots. Oh, God. Like that was peak. That was peak Tiger. And all he had to do was just maintain that and he would have owned his swing for life. Owned his swing for life. But he went and he's looking for perfection. And that's all well and good, but, you know, he's looking for it in all the wrong places. And then as anyone knows, you try and change your swing, it takes two to three years, but he's doing it in less time because he puts in so many hours. So he put a lot of miles on his body. So there's a reason why his back is messed up. Because a golf swing is not built for a human. So instead of him going, I've got reps in the bank because I own my swing and I just practice and focus on the things that I need to keep sharp and then, you know, keep myself mentally fresh. No, he spent so much time in the search of something that just didn't exist and it's cost him basically another five to ten years of probably so probably what would have been the most amazing golf. Like, oh, as amazing as he was, I think we've been cheated because of his obsession. Interesting I digression. And yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. No, 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 don't be sorry because that's that's what we do here. You know, we start off talking about the uh, CJ Cup at Nine Bridges in Korea. We get on to Jordan Spieth, um, who once you know usurped the the winner in uh, all things golf and then we get on to him and talking about his swing and then we talk about tiger well, i'll give that, the contrast no no my, but, my, my but, man lift my man lefty the dude's 50 his swing essentially hasn't changed change. all he's done is tried to tighten it up yep well, look all, what i was going to, to say is all i can do is, is say i know that i learned in the 80s with you know ross herbert and you know, those oh, guys at the coaching the man. coaching camps that I used to go to at Narrabeen Sport and Rec Camp, New South Wales Institute of Sport, whatever it was. Um, you know, and Ross Herbert was the man then and he was he didn't coach us individually, but he coached us in groups and yeah, you know, I had a swing and that swing worked. When I came back to the game months later as an adult, I got taught a different concept. And, you know, what I have seen over the journey is Coaching concepts come and go, and they change, and, and people get into them, and they get out of them, and 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 the co- and the concepts change. And for me, you know, I persisted with it because I probably had a too long a gap in golf. I sort of didn't really have a connection to the past, other than my natural swing. And I had a pro telling me, "You've got to hit it this way. You've got to swing like this. You've got to be, you know, right working against the left." So essentially, it was. You know, a little bit of stack and tilt, you know, Gary Edwin style. You know, I was getting coached by someone who was a Gary Edwin um, enthusiast and nothing against Gary Edwin. There's plenty of guys hitting it beautifully like that, but it just wasn't for me. And, you know, I went from hitting a ball pretty well to hitting these cut sort of low stinger cut, you know, hitting very down. Oh, I can, I can... I can picture it, and it makes me feel sick. And and uh, but that's what I was doing because I was paying this, you know, paying someone to teach me that. And I thought, well, that must be the way. And what happened is that coach got moved on, and he left. And um, you know, I went to someone else who I still talk to and still see. And uh, the first thing he said was, "Show me your old swing." I went okay, it's like this. Okay, so we'll just do that. Oh, okay. There's a hundred bucks. Okay, see you in two weeks. Bye. <laughs> Not. Yeah. I'm, I'm being. I'm being flippant, but you know, basically, we what we di- what we came to was, let's just swing it like that. Let's go back to what worked that you know innately and that you do so well, and uh, and we'll just refine and tweak the bits around that. 
and um, and that's what I did. It was always a very very effective long game swing, but the uh, that doesn't matter what what I was taught, whatever the method for the short game, it's just never really uh, never really come through. But my long game swing is great. But you know, I guess I just wanted to offer a personal sort of perspective on the point that you made, and and hopefully if someone that is out there listening and they've been through coaching and, and been through some changes and and they've either worked really well and that's great, um, if they've worked really well, there's probably a reason. Um, but if they've struggled, you know, just always question. Always question your coach. Always, uh, you know, ask them why and and, um, and really get a good understanding of, of the reason. And if it's not working, um, you know, there's always there's always other people with other, other opinions and advice and other very good coaches. So anyway, I don't know why we got onto that. But um, Rocket, what else? So... There was a couple of significant results in the CJ Cup that you know, we talked about President's Cup last week and it's obviously coming up to Captain's Picks time which is you know due to close off on the 4th of November. Yeah. But some of the other guys that were in there. So Danny Lee. Yeah. Does he uh, pl- does he play himself into consideration? Oh, potentially, potentially. Yeah, minus minus um, minus 18, no, not a no slouch of a of a um of an effort there, uh, yeah, it didn't, did, you know, didn't finish great. But again, he was chasing JT, right? So he had to force the issue, and just yep. didn't work out. But yep. you know, it was a really good tournament from him. Um, he's been thereabouts. He's had a pretty solid 2019. Mm-hmm. He looks to have um, put a bit of size on in the gym because he was normally a, a quite a a uh, svelte man. Mm-hmm. So it looks like he's done a bit of uh, bit of gym work. Um. Yeah, so he could be in a contention. Um, yeah, apart from that, I don't know. Oh, I think sorry. Don't want to elaborate. Sometimes I get frustrated with some of these PGA Tour stuffing events. No cut, playing it across the country. Just fill up the calendar for everyone else. Who gives a stuff about every other tour? Okay, well we'll move on from that part. And your point, your point, <laughs> your point, your point's well made on a number of occasions in the My Love of Golf podcast, mate. So, you know, I think yeah, I, think I, don't, like, I don't want to labour the. Point, I think the so. three people, in, in one of those being your mum that listens in, she, they understand that you're frustrated with the PGA Tour sometimes, and and on a number of levels, rightly so. Um, Matt Jones, did he uh, did he do anything to uh, pique the interest of the great Ernesto Els? No, I don't no? think so. Okay. I don't think so. Well, then, uh, who else? Who else? Um, maybe, maybe Jay Day. Jay Day. You know, yeah, Bubble Boy. You know, chiropractor, chiropractor kid. Maybe his uh, win in the skins game against um, um, a couple of old other, a couple of people that also have back issues. Um, maybe that piqued the interest of uh, El Capitan Els. Maybe I don't know. Now I'm going to be I'm going to be controversial. I'm not the one that usually is controversial here, but I'm going to be controversial here. Now, it would appear on the back of his what? What did he win? Four skins, and he won the last the last whole hundred grand as if he needed it. But uh, anyway, they I believe they had a lot of fun in the skins game. We'll talk about that in a second. But I'm going to be controversial. Has and I'll ask a question first. Has Jay Day confirmed his participation in the Australian Open yet? I know, I know. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty confident that he's been asked, and they, they want him to play. You, I, I don't think he has, and I'm I'm going to look it up now because once again, great preparation for this uh, episode uh, on both of us here at nine o'clock on a Wednesday night. Uh, it's boring on a disgrace. <laughs> um. Hang on, absolutely. Oh, hang on. According to an article, it says uh, says playing in front of family in December's Australian Open could provide a much needed lift as he joins countryman Mark Leishman and Smith as headliners. So it looks like he was confirmed. Okay. Good. But he's but he's but he's no certainty to tee it up in the in the in the President's Cup. But but you know he's probably gonna. Probably going to oh have a look who's also going to be playing in the uh, Australian Open. 
<gasps> oh, my friend. Who's that? <laughs> Sergio. Yes, Sergio's in. <laughs> oh, he's going to get to throw his clubs. Yay. Um. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna retract my uh, being controversial. I wasn't sure that Jason Day had been uh, confirmed, but I was I was on the line there with. Uh, no, but here's the thing, right? If, 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 the, if, if the, he doesn't if, get picked, no. Here's the thing: if the President's Cup wasn't on, he, would he play? Yeah, I don't reckon he would. I don't reckon he would. So I was going. I was, and I, I, was I understand thinking. he's got an American family, all that sort of stuff. And the unfortunate thing is, the Australian Open usually falls on Thanksgiving in America because we went through all of this with the Shark over many many years. Um, and sure, we paid a fair and fees to the shark to come out here, but I would obviously say one, money well spent, and two, the dude gave a lot back to the game. So a eh, little bit of give and take. Yep. But at the same time, I still think what what they do with the Australian Open. Nah, we'll leave that for another podcast. So I'm about to about to stick the knees into them. I've already probably done enough. <laughs> it's cool. We'll leave that one. Okay, but, we'll we'll leave we'll leave some of that there. But Jason Day, you would have to think that he he is going to be a Presidents Cup uh, player. Uh, look, I would ex- I would expect that Ernie would Ernie would select him, yeah. right? I, I would expect so. All right, so Italian Open. One of your yes, the it- the Italian Open. Yeah, the the the, the marvel at Medina. The marvel at Medina. The muscles from Brussels. Muscles from Brussels. <laughs> Lucky Mrs. Rocket, Mrs. Rocket doesn't listen to this podcast because if she heard me say Italian Open, I reckon she would backhand me because she's Italian. So um, when I butcher the Italian uh, phrasing and stuff like that, like Ganocchi, um, I do it for giggles, but it does get some rather stern looks. Um, so, yeah, Nicholas Colsarts, you know, the he is probably one of the most liked guys um, and – if anyone wants to hear a bit more about Nicholas Golsertz, the uh, Andy Johnson of Fried Egg and uh, Shotgun Star fame did a bit of a digging on Nick Colsart's, um after the win and talked about him and some stories and articles and interviews um, about on him for about five or ten minutes. Uh, I listened to that this morning and it was some really funny stories in terms of, you know, what he thought about the American tour, some of his parties or partings or habits, um, etc. Um, and he just seems like he's just this universally loved guy on the European tour by all the players. Um, and, you know, he's been off the ball for, I think it's his first victory in seven years. And, you know, I love these stories, right? You've got a guy who's toiling away on tour, just loves, you know, loves playing golf, loves traveling, living life at the same time. But, um, you know, it's, has had his struggles with the game and things like that. And then for him to, to win something like this, Italian Open, it's quite prestigious. The Shark won the Italian Open, I think, in 1986. Uh, I think it's the second time he might have won it. So that was part of his 10 victories in 1986. So there's some quite uh, prestigious names that are on that trophy. So... Yeah, it's good. Well, One for the good guys. And uh, I think he went the blub. Always, always. Uh, I'm always up for someone who goes the blub on the acceptance speech. There, I love. Uh, I love. Uh, yeah. I love a bit of blub, a bit of emotion. Yeah. He's only 36, and you 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 forget sometimes. It's still, still a young he's man. Played, and the other thing is, well, he's played a lot out here in Australia as yep. well. So yep. I think he's he came out a lot when the, you know still back when they had the Australian Masters. So played in that a fair bit. Um, he has played in the Australian Open. Um, Big, tall, strapping lad and hits the ball a long way. He's good to he's he's just good to watch. Good to watch. One hundred eighty-eight centimeters. Um, no slouches in that tournament too. And one of your favourite boys, Kurt Kitayama, finished fourth. Who? Kurt Kitayama. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Kit- Kitayama. No. Yes, you do. The American guy. You've talked about him. Numerous Did time. I? Kurt Kitayama. Oh, maybe I've had just such a long week. <laughs> you know we didn't really didn't do this podcast because I was just I felt a bit flat. I've had a couple of coffees, so I'm pretty jacked up right now. So I thought I thought he was one of your uh, your favourite of the new, the new young guns, Kurt Kitayama. 
Anyway, well, let's move on from Kurt Kitayama. He's pretty good. He's a young gun. Um, one of my favourites, uh, a couple of my favourites finished T5, representing my Irish heritage, Gavin Moynihan, and representing my Scottish uh, heritage, Richie Ramsey. I like seeing those uh, the Celtic boys doing well. And um, Richie Ramsey, good that he plays well. You know, very good man who's just tall away for a long time. Yeah. So. I saw him interviewed, and uh, he was talking about making birdies and getting biscuits from his... Uh, uh, from his daughter, so his daughter promised him that he, for every birdie that he could have a biscuit, and it just made me think of Mar Rockets Scottish shortbreads. <laughs> I, re- I really need to go on that sort of rationing next for the next box that uh, I can only have one when I have a birdie. It might last me longer than seven hours next time. Um, and uh, you know the good news for uh, for us there's uh, Herbie Herbie wrapped up his European tour card um, for next year. With, uh, oh, good! Another good result for him, you know, tied fourteenth, and uh, yeah, that yeah, just takes 20, it. 20, 2019 was a bit of you know, it's good he's done that because twenty nineteen has been a bit of a battle for him. Yeah, a bit of up and down. So, mate, let's talk about this uh, skins game, which happened on Monday, and I think we've got sort of different perspectives on this skins game. I'll let you offer yours. So it was Tiger Woods, Jason Day. Hideki Matsuyama and oh, Jeepers Weepers, Rory McIlroy, of course, um, played for many, many thousands of dollars on an 18-hole event. So it wasn't the traditional skins nine-hole and then come back the next day and do the other nine holes. They played, finished in the dark, did a few different things, you know, got a couple of the uh, rugby, former rugby Greats Mike Tyndall, married into royalty Mike Tyndall, George Gregan, uh, Brian O'Driscoll and some other rugby playing uh, – oh, one of the Japanese guys that played with um, uh, Hideki. They they joined them for a hole for a charity challenge and things like this. And I listened to some of the press uh, commentary after it and I, I've got my thoughts on it. But I'll, I'll defer to you, Rocket. What do you think about Monday skins in the lead up to Japan's first ever PGA Tour event, co-sanctioned PGA Tour event? No wonder it finished in the dark because it's boring. Oh, why is that? Oh, look, you've got two Tiger Woods fanboys in Rory and and Jason Day, and then you've got two dudes that have bad backs in terms of Woods and Day, and then you've got Hideki playing on, and it's just made for golf TV. So it wasn't even a free-to-air or any broadcast like that. And skins. Like, we've done skins to death. Like, boring. Oh, please. Like, mic'd up and have, you know, the banter. Ooh. Oh. 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 Can I make any more noises? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. <laughs> but don't at some level, you know, the mic'd up part with the banter and the chats, don't you think that that's good for the game? Like even though it was pre- predominantly only broadcast and seen in America or wherever else, didn't come onto Foxtel here, um, don't you think it's good for the game that people – Get to see these guys being a little bit more relaxed, a bit casual with each other, talking to each other like they're normal humans rather than you know performing robots. Don't you think that brings a level of interest that we don't otherwise get to see? And if there was more of that, that it'd be more interesting for more people. Look, twenty thirty years ago, it probably works right because TV broadcasting is is not like it is today in terms of the content that you would have especially with these top players, but there's so much, right? And it's there's so much saturation and a skins game is quite like playing for money, right? They already, they already earn a bucket load of money, right? So playing for, for more money, like it, it's not that interesting. And yeah, they might have a little bit of banter, like if you're gonna if you're gonna have if you're gonna have a skins game and mic someone, have a few people that are actually really interesting and probably go the sledge, and also probably 
um, you know, wind things up. Bit of lefty, even though the Tiger lefty thing was quite boring. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know. They've got to do something different. It's not. It's not that entertaining. Like it doesn't make me go. I want to watch that. Well, the lefty and Tiger thing from last year, I think, yeah, unanimously, uh, was, unanimously was, left, first. left that was worse. Left a lot of people very, very flat, and a lot of people very uninspired about the concept of trying to do something different. You know, the, from the only good thing about that was the funny story of Jake Owen at Jordan Spieth's wedding with confronting Phil Mickelson about it. That was the best thing about the whole thing. Yeah, just... I, even though that whole match was boring, just the fact that that was boring, which enabled that like story to occur, made it worthwhile. So you're commissioner of the tour and you're chartered with the, uh, the job of making it, you know, more than just a, a four day TV event. And you need to bring some, some eyeballs to the, to the screens and you know, do your bit to, increase interest in in our great game what are you doing what are you doing that's different um i would give them six clubs Mm -hmm. they can pick the clubs they want they did they did do a one club hole one hole um one club challenge one whoopee two um six clubs the the if they pick a if they pick a a a wood has to be persimmon and they have to all play max fly nineties. Okay. Or give them a bag of hickories. So you think mic'd up nine holes of that. Nine, nine ho- holes of that. Nine holes of old equipment and old golf balls. For money? That'd be awesome. No yep. money. Okay. Skins? Skins type setup or do the same. Yeah, Just okay. change the equipment. Yeah, okay. Let's see how they play with the old stuff. Okay. Can that can these dudes hit a persimmon driver? Let's see how good Jason Day is with a persimmon driver. Mm-hmm. Well, it does, you know, once again unscripted, but leads leads us into another topic which I heard discussed and often discussed, but discussed again recently. Now Matt Mollica um, has started a, a Twitter handle and a website and a blog, so so to speak, called the Rollback Alliance. Obviously, obviously, the resistance. Yes, a very big fan of, you know, the ball, uh, and controlling distance, therefore preserving architecture in golf, um, which you know, we can't grow the courses, we can't build longer courses. There's no more land, all that sort of thing. So you know, he's very much on that charter of the ball, and whether it's a ballata or a tournament ball, you know, he, he's he's onto that, and. You know, I was with um, Brendan James, the editor of Golf Australia, this week, and you know, he alerted me to this sort of tweet thing that was going around, uh, and a story uh, going back to Jeff Ogilvie, where you know, he he sort of took it on a different slant, where you know you make the courses firm and fast, so the ball runs into the rough, then all of a sudden the players need a ball that they can shape, yep, and you know, hit low with, you know, rising spin or can draw, you know, yep. more than, you know, the pre-programmed 12 yards of, you know, whatever brand ball X is able to draw at maximum level. Um, and that will then define the demand because people will want to, do, to to use that and experience that. And rather than having a tournament ball, you know, if they changed the courses and made the courses set up so people needed that ball to play, those types of shots, especially the pros, um, that would happen. So, you know, is that one of the things that's going to change golf at a tournament level and make it more, you know, interesting and engaging for a greater number of people? I don't know. I don't know. Won't but, happen. Well, definitely won't, ha- won't happen. USPGA Tour, how much water do you want to put on a course? You know, and it's, you know, the players, they'll, they will kick up the biggest stink if the course is too firm and too fast. I can only have to see what happened at Trinity Forest when you know it was a little bit firm. They got a bit twitchy. They 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 had an issue with a center line bunker at TPC Boston, which they ended up the tour made the club fill it in. Like I oh, come on. Come on. Like uh-huh. it's just you know, we need more of the resistance. It's one of those things that'll take a long time. It could be another five to ten years before they do something, but 
essentially the governing bodies have to do something. And unfortunately, the PGA Tour have too much muscle and they're not a rule maker, but they're just too big and too strong. And then that means it's the players of the, that are members of the PGA Tour, their, their voices speak. So one of the lines of commentary on the Good Good podcast, which is uh, Adrian Logan, Rod Murray's um, new podcast on their network, to give them a plug because it is very good and well worth listening to. One of the lines in reference to governing bodies was that Augusta in its own right is a governing body because they make their own rules, right? Yep. So why couldn't they mandate a tournament ball? If they did that, that would that you would probably need them to be part of the resistance. So the the line that they then you know brought up into the discussion um, was that it would just take a manufacturer to say you know to a player we don't want you to play in that tournament because we don't want you to use a tournament ball, and that Molika um, you know raised the point which you know he he articulated which I was thinking at the time is that you know there are less and less. There's less and less money being divvied around by the big brands because, yep, you know things are tight, right? So it's all concentrated at the top. Yeah. So the, so, you know, maybe that is a way, but uh, you know, there's probably probably once again never going to happen because it's too far down the track and and too too well advanced. But it was a good it was a good discussion that comes up on their podcast a lot, and we talk about it because you know sort of we've got our own sort of viewpoints on it. But, anyway, but, you know, Jeff's right, right? If if you you know, if you play a course firm and fast, it separates the good players from the ones that rely on the equipment. Um, and shot makers come to the fore. So that's why, you know, even even at Augusta, Augusta can play wet, but it does play quite firm and it does play quite fast. Um, US Open when it plays firm and fast. British Open when it plays firm and fast. Generally, the people that are shot makers and can golf their ball will appear at the top. So they do that, roll back the size of the driver. There's there's another step that doesn't impact the ball and maybe have some regulation around the ball. You, you, you change those two things with the, a little bit with the ball and a little bit with the driver and just those things alone will have a massive difference. I've talked about it previously but formula one is a brand in its own right in managing a sport that many many people all around the world like to participate like to watch and it's paid for by the manufacturers they have their names on the engines on the brands of cars but as an owner of the sport if that sport fails to deliver engagement they change a rule it's a it's a rule that's mandated across the whole formula and that's why Formula racing is called a formula. It's a formula of rules. And they change things. If it's a safety-related thing, they'll change the engine power output or the engine deli- power delivery. Uh, they'll change the aerodynamics. They'll change the tyres. You know, the days of tyres in Formula 1, you know, all being different brands and the, man- and the, and the team's allowed to, you know, use whatever tyre whenever they want, it's all controlled. They have a set amount of tyres, set amount of types of tyres, and they only have those to use. So they have to think about when they're going to use them. That affects how they perform in the race. Now, I don't want to turn this into away from golf, but my alignment is that sort of thinking at the elite level, at the pro level, can so easily be brought across to make the game what it needs to go back to. You know, If we're talking about the most exciting time of golf was back in the 80s and you know, that we, that the most people that are alive can reminisce towards, you know, they can they can mandate changes, which isn't going to take away the excitement. It's, it's going to add to the excitement. It's going to make the product even better. And it's not going to detract from what I do. It's not going to detract from, you know, you being an amateur golfer, you know, trying to break 80 every week down at Peninsula Kingswood. Um, it's not going to change any of that. No. No, it won't change any of that. And and what it's going to do is it's all the players that, um, that we'll call it, it's all the different shapes and sizes, all the players that may not hit it very long, but they just know how to, you know, move a golf ball around and hit it really straight or maneuver it 
and it's just good wedge game and sort all that sort of stuff. Those players will appear again because yep. at the moment it's just bomber central. If you are not in the top fifty in driving distance, you are basically nowhere. So it's just driving and putting on the PGA Tour. If you're not elite at both, then good luck. Distance and putting. It's like that's it. Okay, well, let's move on from that topic. Uh, we, we've 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 given it a bit, and if uh, you know someone in New York picks this up, please share it because uh, that's what a couple of us down here in uh, the Victorian state of Australia are thinking. Pass it on, Brooks and Rory, your, <laughs> your boy and my boy. <laughs> well, I, I I think it got handled very well in the end. You know what what was perceived by many to be you know, the potential startings of a stoush. But, um, you know, I think Rory in his interview um, in the skins with Henny Zool handled it really well and, and had a really good response to, you know, what people were thinking was a bit of a swipe by Brooks saying that he's not really uh, not really competition to me because he hasn't won a major for, you know, five years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People that don't know... Um question was you know what, what what's the rivalry you know between you and Rory because obviously you know the whole player of the year debacle where you know the Sith Lords of Pontevedra um, crowned Anakin McElroy the uh, player of the year even though he did nothing in the majors and um, and Brooks's response was quite poignant quite to the point and said, well, there is no rivalry because since I've been out here on tour since 2015, I've won four majors and Rory hasn't won any. Pow. Bang. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Shots fired. Um, and you know, obviously Rory was asked that and his response was, yeah, he's right. Mm. Well, well, what else can he say? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I thought he handled it really well, and he, and he basically ran it out by saying, "Hey, you know, I'm cool with that. We're mates, and you know, that's that's a healthy rivalry for for us to both have. And you know, I want to be, I want to be in his shoes. You know, I'm working hard to get to get better and to be good enough to to win more majors. So, um, you know, the ones that I have aren't enough. You know what I'm loving about my man? He's a he is a protagonist and an antagonist." And it's almost like he needs it as a fuel. I, I don't know. There's something – I remember those that first major or so that he won, and I'm thinking, you know, he doesn't really talk much. He doesn't He doesn't do a lot of media. He's not slapping himself with heaps of logos and doing Instagram thingos. You know, he's, he's not, you know, Ricky Fowlering himself and gratiating himself all over everywhere and trying to be liked. He only goes to the weddings that he wants to go to. Yeah, actually, I don't think he goes to any. Um, and he, he, he's the man speaks his mind. Like that is awesome when you think about how robotic and scripted so much is when it comes to interviews and how they're perceived and things like that. And you know the issues that you know s- everything is so sanitized on the PGA Tour. And then you have the contrast, and we've talked about the European tour in terms of how they do their stuff, and that's quite different and loose. And Brooks has come from the PGA, the European tour, and he's talked about how much he loved that and how awesome it was there. And he comes over to this other side, and he doesn't like the stuffiness. So he's actually fighting against it. You know, he's in all of his majors, I've talked about this before, he never goes on to the late night shows. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm going. I'm on, on my net jets. I'm going home. See you in a few weeks. Hey. Hats off to the Beautiful. man. Hats off to him. He's uh, he's rowing his own boat, mate. It's, uh, but uh, it. you look at his golf bag. He's just got a night golf bag. Um, he's obviously sponsored by them. He doesn't have an equipment sponsor. Um, I don't think he has many sponsors, and he just goes and does whatever he wants. So he's living his best life and just and focusing on just winning majors and being the best in the world. Like he simplified he simplified everything. 
just amazing. I love it. And then just being so, so vocal now, and antagonistic. Oh, oh, now, on living it. his best life, I also picked up uh, some reports about this injury which caused him to withdraw from the CJ Cup. Uh, and that patella. picking up a jet ski. Well, well, he's, he's, what's he? He's got tendonitis in the the tendon that runs from the kneecap to the tibia, and then and that soft uh, tissue injury there, which can be quite, at its most extreme, debilitating, and a six month injury to recover from, which could require screws and and all of that sort of intervention, but it's otherwise known as a jumper's injury. Seen commonly in people who do jumping sports, people who do soccer and uh, football and things like that. Basketball. And also pump big irons in the gym, big squat loads. So you sort of alluded to that he he might have just nipped off because uh, he was over it and uh, wanted a bit of a rest before um, preparing to maybe come back down to Australia or whatever. But, you know, some people are saying that it's actually much more serious. I know you don't want to hear that, Rocket. Oh, look, if he doesn't make it to the President's Cup, oh, I don't care because he probably doesn't care. And if he doesn't care, that's okay with me because as long as Brooksy's fit and firing come April, that's all that matters. That is all that matters. So if it means he has to basically take from now till March off and recuperate, go do it. Because all I want him to do is turn up in majors and brain the field. That's it. That is it. There's probably only one per player in the world that could actually do that. Take all that time off and then turn up, you know, two weeks before with you know a couple of buckets of balls under their belt and just go bang bang, and it's him, I reckon. But um, which leads me to my next question. Okay, let's. I don't want to, you know, be the end of the world sort of. Theorist, you know, Brooks isn't going to come because I, I would love to see him here at uh, Royal Melbourne and tearing that place apart, as as would the golfing the golfing world. But does that then open up the captain to pick himself? No, he's not going to pick himself. I'm sure he. I'm sure he wants to. The only way that'll happen is if someone, you know. If if the dude out of Happy Gilmore comes bursting out of the crowd and tries to run over one of the US players and is successful and Tiger's there and he's like, we can't call someone from the US, I'm going to have to suit up. That is the only way it's going to happen. Won't be a divine intervention from the president himself to say, Tiger, you've got to do it. No, it'll joke. be a crazy person trying to run over, take out a US player and to get Tiger to play. Well, no Maybe one wants Tiger. to hear that. Like, you don't want to hear that Brooks has got an injury that's going to keep him away. No one wants to hear that t- there's not a possibility of Tiger playing in the President's Cup. I think it's unlikely, but no one wants to hear that it's just not going to happen. So boo-hoo to you, Rocket, but on that, you know, not having a bit of faith that Tiger could actually do it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, mate, um, it's getting up to that hour mark. We've uh, rabbited on enough, but uh, there's a couple of things just to round off for this week. Zozo. 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 Oh, I saw this now. Zozo. The second, the second no-cut cup. Okay. It's, it annoys me. This is what annoys me. I can't, it's, I, it's a co-sanctioned event with a Japanese tour. It's the first time they're having it, and it's a field of 72 or whatever it is, no cut. Like, come on. Like, really? And it frustrates me because it's in Japan. Why isn't the Australian tour or Golf Australia and Australian or the PGA Australia coming together and going, right, how do we fix the Australian tour and start working with Asian tour or the Japanese tour. And actually, what, why didn't we take over April, November, December and have this run of events? Even if it was them working then with the US and there's a bit of cross-pollination everywhere because it happens everywhere, like all around the world. But the thing is, though, we suffer because we're just either not aggressive enough or have enough foresight. Like, oh, 
Uh, and then we then we get a PGA Tour no cut cup, so guys can fly into Japan, see the sights, see the bullet trains, go play some golf. Don't have to worry about missing a cut, so they can get their money and go. Tough life. Yes, we're not alone in suggesting that uh, the Australian golf um, bodies need to work to get that type of event down here, not an O-cut cup, whatever, whatever you know, co-sanctioning has to happen. Even if it's not here, right? We, we, our tour should be either part of or co-sanctioning stuff with Asia mm. and and Japan. Like, you, you go back to the Australian... I'm oh, sorry, I'm, I'm on, you know, maybe the coffee's wearing off. I don't know. Um, but you go back to the Australian Open... If someone wins the Australian Open, like go back to Cameron Davis a couple of years ago, young fellow wins the Australian Open, it gives him nothing. Yep. He doesn't get a tour card anywhere, doesn't account to anything. He gets a start. It means nothing. And yet yet someone that wins the Australian PGA, it's co-sanctioned with European Tour, it it goes to what they, goes to um, stuff that they do in, in Europe. Oh, oh, time for another podcast and another coffee. <laughs> well, mate, it's probably um, we probably need to put some more thought and structure around discussions like that, and maybe uh, you know seek some information elsewhere, and maybe some uh, commentary elsewhere about that to really give it its full full length of uh, integrity. But yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, you know, the summer of golf in Australia that that was many many years ago is is a changed landscape. And uh, oh, look! I probably I should apologise to all the listeners. I've probably been I've dragged the I've dragged the conversation in many different ways with the little bugbears and frustrations. You know, October and October um, through to December can be a quite a challenging time of year for me sport wise. You know, there's no AFL. I do have NFL. Um, golf can be a little bit on the boring side because of just the avalanche of the PGA Tour and, I don't know, no majors for till April. It's just, I don't know, a bit, bit conflicted and, I don't know. Rocket, maybe I'm, I need to go, go mow the lawn again or something. Maybe, maybe you need to get your back right, mate, and start actually hitting a golf ball around. Oh, yeah, I know. And, you know, get I know. Some, I, get I heard some, it again. I heard it again. I know. Good. I know. Golf mojo going and uh, oh, no. and get up. Just to uh, just to leave everyone on a high, I, I just want to let you know, Rocket, that uh, I had some great golf experience this weekend, um, courtesy of my colleagues at Golf Australia magazine, uh, on their uh, little panel that we that I participate in. Had a good look at Victoria Golf Club this week, so I did, and had a very good look at uh, the new course down at the National uh, Tom Doak's Gunnamatta Course, Rocket. So. We might, uh, I might digest that and uh, look at my field notes, and um, we might talk about those two courses in more depth in a later episode. But uh, you know, a couple of couple of things of significance. So Victoria undertook a project to redo all of their greens, closed the course for a number of months. You know, about four months, I think it was. You know, much to the behest of their members, and what they've uh, turned out under the work and guidance of the team at OCCM. Oh. Formerly known o- as OCM, OCM, you exactly. That's another discussion. Um, but uh, with Mike Cocking uh, doing a lot of the work and, and Clates down there, um, the greens look a lot like the Peninsula greens. I've got to say that uh, the pure distinction rolled beautifully. Um, they've changed all the green complexes, and it's a different. It's it's a different course. It's still the Victoria that that you know, but um, you know Mike's done a great job of of changing uh, the strategy of some of the holes by. You know, now introducing some good track. I yeah. was right. The greens they were terrible. Yeah, so it's it's proper. It's really really proper now. It was good before, but it's proper proper now. And uh, I think yeah. I think when the what's it the Australian Open comes down there in twenty twenty two, which mm-hmm. they're looking forward to, um, it'll be great. And then the contrast of that is to play on Tom Doak, um, the new course at the National a Gunnamatta course, which they they're calling like a members course. If you've played the Ocean Course down there, which was a Thompson Woolbridge Parrot design course, um, you know it had that was its, horrible. Look, it had a few people that liked it, 
but it had its detractors. Um, who? Who liked well, it? Well, what I know, what I know, what I learned was that um, just by basic stats, you know, like the, the computer, you know, power that um, keeps records of scores, members playing those courses. Only fifteen percent of rounds were played on that one particular course. So, when you've got a beautiful facility down there with three courses, and only fifteen percent of the golf is being played on one of the courses, it suggests that people are voting with their feet. So, you know, it it became obvious and um, time for the national to make a change, and they undertook that project um, with Tom Doak started a few years ago, and it's not quite ready. Um, you know, for full competition play yet, but it's not far away from being ready. But, you know, it's certainly in fantastic enough condition for us to play a wonderful round. And it's different. It's it's a different, very Tom Doak, if you know your Tom Doak architecture and you are a fan of that sort of stuff, you know, you can certainly see uh, his influences on that place. And um, it's not overly long from the blue tees. And, you know, in the easy conditions, it's not overly hard, but, um, you know, it's a lot of fun. You know, a lot of fescue. You know, long fescue fringes, as in long, as in from the where they start down the fairway to the green. So the ground game comes into play. A lot of banking. So if you can hit it left, it'll come back down and feed around to the green. So you don't have to fly every shot in with a you know high bombed wedge. It really is designed around playing golf. Maybe how it was a little bit uh, conceived playing in Scotland, and you know, I know Tom Doak is a big fan of Scotland, and he doesn't think that you uh, can build courses unless you spend enough time studying golf uh, architecture over there, and you can sort of see that. So, anyway, it was a great, fun couple of days seeing that. So we'll talk about that more at length. But uh, I finished the finished off going back to Peninsula today, at Rocket. Yes, I just need my back to be right. That's all. I just need to move back to be right. And let me t- let me tell you, it has to be. It will become has to become one of the best courses in Australia, um, in a very short period of time. It'll, it'll just you know, it's sensational. It's just unbelievable the conditioning down there at the moment, and it's still new. It's very very new, but it's just it's just unbelievable. Anyway. Everyone knows that because I see that on our Instagram, my Instagram. If you want to look at, um, if you want to look at any of the pictures from Victoria, uh, the Gunnamatta course, or Peninsula from from this week, just jump onto my Instagram there, ross.flanagan.golf, and uh, and you'll see that on the story. I'll save it, and you can just ply through that and yeah, enjoy the viewing because it's pretty special viewing. Rocket, that's about it from us, mate. You happy with that? I am. I am. Excellent, mate. Well, until next time we come together, as promised, when you're on board, I get to play you out with a bit of this. Sit back. <laughs>